We are also requesting that your team of advisors include a senior officer who is thoroughly experienced in uh, psychological operations. How to conduct psychological warfare. You're listening to the Propaganda Report. I'm Brad Binkley here with Monica Perez. Monica, how you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm good. Did you hear that clip well? Yes, it sounded a little bit like Humphrey Bogart, but in the end, I thought maybe it wasn't. But... Let me see. Let's, let me hear that again. We are also requesting that your team of advisors include a senior officer who is thoroughly experienced in uh, psychological operations. <laughs> I added that, that sound definitely effect. sounds. Oh, okay. It definitely sounds like Humphrey Bogart to me. Well, that putting com- on an air of some kind. Yeah, it's not Humphrey Bogart. It is. An actor, I don't know who, who is performing in an Army psychological warfare training video from like 1950 that I want to go through with you today, as well as CyberCon, the Army CyberCon from 2018, a panel discussion of psychological warfare officers from the DOD and from the military. They talk about how the new cyber playing field affects psychological warfare operations. Some very interesting clips and some very interesting information in how to conduct a psychological warfare operation and how to manipulate society for anyone who's interested or anyone who's interested (laughs) in protecting themselves from that. Now, how are you doing other than that? I'm fine. I, I'm now a little bit afraid that there psyops are everywhere. Well, I think if you're afraid about that right now, then you'll be certain of it after the show. <laughs> They're absolutely everywhere all the well, time. Let me just say the thing I read recently to everybody, it was in it was a, something that came out in the year 2000 about how the Internet's going to be great. It defined psychological operations as propaganda. Which I think propaganda is a subset of psychological operations. I mean, you could get kind of definitional about it. Yeah. I think of propaganda as being in print, you know, or in a medium where a message is conveyed. Well, whereas a psychological operation can be a visceral scene of, of slaughter to change the hearts and minds of the people who are witnessing yeah. it. You could call that propaganda, but I don't. I, I but call that's them interchangeable. I, I use them interchangeably. Bernays yeah. talks about Bernays talks about propaganda being what you described with the slaughter propaganda of the deed, which is an overt act right, that right. causes mm-hmm. like his scene of the smoking the cigarettes, having all the women smoke the mm-hmm. cigarettes, the freedom thing. That was a whole propaganda public relate. You know, he changed propaganda to public relations, and they changed yeah. public relations propaganda to information warfare. They always shift the names up as. They, uh, as the names get familiar with the public audience, they right. change them. And they actually, in this panel discussion at the Army CyberCon, they slip up and they call stuff like psychological warfare when apparently they are yeah, changing the name to something else and they're using another yeah. name because people, it's that information yeah. thing. I, I have that information it, operations. Yeah. And they say, like, I have the document where they say that they're changing the name yeah. from psychological operations to information. It's funny to watch them talk about it because they catch themselves when they say the wrong word and then they try to remember what the new word is. Like one of them was like public policy conversation or stuff like that. And But it's all because those words develop a negative feeling among the public so they got to change the word so when somebody says i'm a so-and-so officer they don't go oh you're a propagandist who's trying to manipulate people do you ever see the patches like somebody sent me a list of the of possible military patches that you can get 
Some of them have aliens on them. Yeah, I've seen those. Some of them have whatever mind rays. Yeah. Like they have crazy things. Yeah, I think they do that because it makes the guy who gets the patch feel good. Like yeah, the whole cool. thing about the patches, according to Smedley Butler, is that like it's the medals and stuff. It's all to give you the sense of ego instead of like compensation or yeah. other things that or that is supposed to override your moral qualms, that kind of thing. You can get some really cool patches at your local Army-Navy store. For our Astronaut University show, I put patches all over the uniform that I wear, and so do the people I'm in the show with, and I bought a bunch of really cool patches. And I saw the alien one. I think I have the alien one, actually. Yeah, you had to. I hope you got the alien one for the astronaut. It's like an Area 51 team. Which, by the way, there's something's going to happen, I think, at Area mm-hmm. 51. The person who organized the Area 51 mm-hmm. Storm Area 51 event has pulled mm-hmm. out of it, citing, I don't know the specifics of the I think story. it was security concerns. Something. Something weird is going to happen there. A YouTuber got arrested trying to sneak into Area 51 earlier this week. So, I don't know. Wouldn't they move the stuff if the it stuff was there? The stuff would be gone. Absolutely. <laughs> Nothing is there anymore. It's definitely not where. Or, you know, I don't put it past these people. That that would be the last place I would think anything would be. So it might be there. The airplanes underneath Area 51 that are buried underneath there. Mm-hmm. The, we played the clips of the military mm-hmm. guy talking mm-hmm. about the airplanes, the high-tech airplanes mm-hmm. buried under there. Those people need to have shovels and start digging. That's where they're going to find stuff. They're probably not going to find anything except maybe they yeah. stage an alien thing because they want to mess with people. I, I don't know. But they're not going to find anything legitimate inside the building. That sounds right. Okay. I want to start with a military, the Army PSYOP training video from like 1950 because it's just – it's really – it's a funny informational video. The way they make these videos back then versus the way they do stuff now, it's so different, and I really like the way it's they so did it back corny. then. It's so yeah, corny. It's so corny. I loved it. But it's obvious, and it's and it's like glitzy. Like they wanted to give you a little something. They want to give you – they want to bring the energy. They want to bring the style. Yeah, some entertainment value with it. Now <laughs> yeah. today it's these long panel discussions that drone on and on like it's a democratic debate. <laughs> right, I want to start you off with a clip. This is a basic – Basic clip telling their trainees, here's what the job is of the psychological warfare expert. In the area of psychological operations, PSYOP, Colonel Hamilton qualifies as a veteran with considerable field experience. Now he is building on that knowledge, supplementing it with specifics concerning host land, its geography, its economy, its governmental... I'm going to pause it there. The premise host of the video, land? yeah, the premise of the video is about a fictional country <laughs> called Hostland who right. asked for the United States help in fighting off a subversive forces from the outside that are coming in, and they asked specifically oh, for the help, good. yeah, of yeah. a psychological warfare expert to come in and set up a, a war a campaign, and that's what. Okay, here, but here, just to point out, it would still be wrong of our government to do that with my tax dollars. That's not what they're being paid for. It's nowhere in the Constitution, but they're trying to make it seem. Morally right, politically right, respecting sovereignty. If another country asks us for help, we will help. But I was raised, my father, who fought in World War II, was absolutely adamant. It is no business of our government to do that. If we personally want to go over and fight, if the Vatican were being invaded and the priests wanted to go over and fight, that's fine. But you can't, our government has no business interfering or even aiding other countries. That clip that I played at the beginning where the guy says, 
We need the help of a psychological warfare mm -hmm. expert. That is the hostland country asking the United States for help. Which really? We, he sounds so sinister. I know. He does sound very sinister. And, and the, the reply is, I think I know someone who can help you. And this is the man, the expert, <laughs> that they bring in. In the area of psychological operations, PSYOP, Colonel Hamilton qualifies as a veteran with considerable field experience. Now he is building on that knowledge, supplementing it with specifics concerning host land, its geography, its economy, its governmental structure. Above all, he is concerned with its people, their way of life, their religion, their culture, their sense of national identity, or lack of it. He must know the people of Hostland, for their minds will be his primary objective. Like the others on the team, Colonel Hamilton has come to his assignment well prepared. But he still faces many hours of additional study and research before he can begin to initiate a PSYOP program. He reviews the psychological objectives the United States hopes to achieve in Hostland. He confers with the chief of the United States Agency for International Development. This knowledge is of vital significance, for his efforts must harmonize all other American activities within Hostland. He reviews all available sources of information that will help him determine the attitudes of the population. How do they feel about their country, their government, and how do these feelings vary from locale to locale? Holy crap. Can I just tell you? Of yeah, yeah. That thing that I read to y'all from 2000 when I was talking about the conspiracy theory stuff, it was absolutely exactly what that guy is saying. Yeah. It's like what you have to do is figure out how people think. And then furthermore, you need to drill down into subcultures and then right. that dovetailed with the courts article about why Google was created, that the searches yeah. people do give you such an insight into their psyche Absolutely. that you can you can reduce them into birds of a featherland, and then <laughs> not hostland but birds of a feather they can be smaller. And then I'm just thinking right now that if that is what you want. It would be easier for you to target each group individually if you could get those groups to be very well defined and have everybody yep. be a part of those groups. So that's why they enhance dysfunctional subcultures, further define them, and even that kind of uh, calls back to yeah. – the Brzezinski thing where in order to defeat democracy, you need every single person to be critically reliant on a non-democratic organization like a corporation or a labor union or university. So they, they want to uh, they want to bundle people up in very defined ways in order to, I guess, control their minds and their wallets oh, and yeah. then control them. It's interesting. Like a form wow, of that niche was from marketing. 50, 60, 70 years ago. Yeah. And keep that in mind when we get to the cybercon stuff later about how this applies digitally, like you just said. You know, he made the the primary objective is the minds of the people and he does the background information research before he even goes out into the field. And and the sad part is it's to manipulate people. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's to me, I mean it definitely flirts with the unethical and even immoral. Now, my mother would say you are responsible for your own psyche and no one can manipulate you if you are strong and good and true. But not everybody has that. These are like superhuman foes to have your own government 
with unlimited resources that they steal from you, putting that effort to work, because let's face it, obviously they do it against us as well. They might convince themselves it's for our own good, but host land is not a real place. So yes, it can be another foreign country, but it can also be this country. Exactly. How do these feelings vary from locale to locale? A comprehensive accumulation of data is reviewed, but it is not seen as unalterable fact. It is rather a guideline for further research. And all such further research is done firsthand. For listeners, these clips, they give like a statement, and then there's like 30 seconds of music, so I cut out the middle 30 seconds if you hear the little glips in the audio there. That's because I you know, didn't think it was didn't well, think it was necessary to listen to all the um, in the middle audio. Yes, from that I want to add oh, go ahead. add to that though what he was just saying how like it's not immutable they figure it out and then they have to do further right. research. Mm-hmm. When I read the first thing I ever read about psychological operations before they changed the name, but it was or before we were aware of a name changer, I was at the begin like maybe six seven years ago. I was researching it and. And I was looking, oh, it was less time than that. It was when Edward Snowden was was released into the world. And prior to that, like a couple of months before that, there was some spy that kind of looked like him that was captured in Russia with these ridiculous wigs and like crazy stuff like that. And it was just such a bizarre story. I thought it was kind of like a test run of an Edward Snowden type character. And I remember reading about the psychological operations. They said... We will, you have a test run, you see how it works, you tweak it. It's like cyclical. You tweak it. If it's great and it has legs, like you can open up phase two even. And that's why like Edward Snowden's story, his, his own story, and you see it in other stuff too, it's changed over time and was not consistent with his previous story. And I think that's when they were expanding it into bigger and bigger phases because it was so successful. But when they say they want further research, some of that is that they wait for feedback and then tweak the operation. That's exactly what it is. It, it, so it's a living, breathing file, so to speak, that they have on all these niche groups of society that we're all a part of that – document our like it said our attitudes how we feel about government our interest and when you look at facebook while it's beneficial for marketing purpose and it's beneficial to communicate with people that you have similar interests as it also is a place where all of those groups are kept together in the digital world that they can mine all the data like you heard them say it's a comprehensive amount of data that they put together mm-hmm. think about the amount of data they have today mm-hmm. it just dwarfs what they had back then and they and had, it's everywhere yeah they had to go out in the field the next clip which i forgot to export talks about some of that out in the field work where he goes they go out personally meet with the labor unions they talk to people they they find out specifically how they feel right now what their problems are and now they don't even necessarily – it still helps to do that, but they don't even necessarily have to do that as much because people put their inner thoughts more mm-hmm. on the web than they speak their inner thoughts out in public. People are a lot more bolder and open. And they're more vulnerable and susceptible right. to suggestion like Cass Sunstein had said and also that other uh, U.S. Army college thing I was reading from 2000 – where they talk about how to actually go out there into go to a meeting, it's tricky to get those people not to detect you. Right. Yeah. But in the digital world, it's much easier, and you have further reach. Right. You can get their trust. I mean, now, now you know why DARPA invented the internet. There you go. 
So this clip talks a little bit about the field work and how it helps them determine the target audiences for the psychological warfare operation. They literally tour the country, sounding out the people and their leaders, seeking face-to-face meetings that will pinpoint national and local problems, what they are and where they are. In the cities, they attend labor meetings. Through interaction with such groups, their understanding of local issues is enhanced. They meet with labor leaders and industrial. Oh, and pause it. Every time there's a little like jump in the audio, yeah, yeah. it's because it, it has that underneath, but it's showing. It's because they have scenes. Yeah, right? it's showing scenes of the information officers meeting with the labor unions people and showing Are they them in interacting. Uniform? No. Right. But uh, I liked that I said it shows them where the problems are and what the problems are. I'm like, yeah, it shows them where the problems are. They want to yeah. know where the cells are. They want to know where to exactly. drop the virtual or actual bomb. It like shows them sitting in a labor union meeting, like looking around, taking notes and looking at each other and shaking their head. Mm-hmm. 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 Their main goal is to find out the feeling of labor and industry toward the military and government of host land. In many cases, and I would I would add the tech industries to that when you think now, about modern day. But it's interesting. They want to know. I mean, this is very interesting because they they're doing it to us. So they're looking at now they have like so much control and we're so stupid. But when like the corporate interests were one thing and the labor interests were another thing and they were trying to like corral people into this matrix, they they were looking at those factors and seeing what they thought about, felt about the military and the government. I mean, that's what the report from Iron Mountain was all about in the 60s. Like, how do you have all the factors of society support government when there's no real threat of war from an outside enemy? Because nuclear weapons did what Tesla wanted them to do, and it eliminated the possibility of war. And they were worried that it would make these groups not not look to the military, the government, and the elite as as being properly at the top of the hierarchy. Right. And all these this information that they're gathering, this in the field work, this is marketing research is what it is. But they're doing marketing research with the full power and force of the government. So they have a lot more fully funded, a lot more resources to go collect data on every group in society for however they're going to use it than, say, the average business might have. Like if we were able to do what they were to do to collect data, our show would explode overnight (laughs) because we would know how to reach those people that are more likely to listen to us quicker. But because we have have limited resources and the average person has limited resources and the average business doesn't have the resources of the government, it's a – incredibly dis- disadvantaged everybody else is at, especially the individual in comparison to the amount of data that the government is able to collect on everyone. And here's the thing. So the government gives people – the government has access. Just their mere presence is intimidating. They have access. Then yeah. they have like actual advantages like eminent domain where they can confiscate land or put their wires on land and all that. And this advantage that you are talking about, that they have data, they have access to data, that's why when they select Sergey Brin and Larry Page to create Google or when they look at whoever was doing the driverless sensors for the Army and MIT contests and all that that these guys were orchestrating, they have an advantage that like a just a regular startup 
not to mention the regulatory barriers to entry they put up, but the regular startup isn't, it may never really be able to do that. Not to mention that actually doing it is so cost prohibitive, unless you're absolutely certain you're going to have a monopoly on it later, that all of this stuff favors the government and their power over us. And it should really be the opposite. The feeling of the people toward the military establishment is similar to that shown toward the existing government. Psychologically, the military in every country in the world represents government authority. To establish the target audiences for any military psychological operations, all functional groups must be checked, and their reaction to the military establishment determined. Teachers, writers and publishers, farmers, and religious leaders Each will have a perspective that is peculiar to his own particular group. Problems, real or imagined, will come to the fore. This face-to-face, eye-to-eye confrontation with the population provides the PSYOP officer with a tool that is essential to his job. Insight, a look into the minds of a people, a working knowledge of their individual and group needs, attitudes, and ambitions. Okay. Okay. I'll, so, I'll, I definitely have stuff. I'll wait for you, but don't move on until I tell okay. you what I'm thinking. So they target all those groups of teachers, the basically every influential sector in society. That's what they they go for the people that can spread the influence the most through the positions that they are in. Uh, which oh, obviously mm-hmm. religion is yeah. definitely a big one for that. Wait, didn't we have that in a Brooksing, Brookings clip? Oh, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I think we had that exact thing. Like, you need the influencers or, you know. This is Bernays' model. I mean, it probably wasn't Bernays that started this, I'm sure. But But I think they had virtually that list. Yeah. Yeah, Bernays has a list of this stuff that just goes on for pages and pages in all of his books. He focuses in on this specific thing. And the interesting thing, one of the interesting interesting things to me in that clip is – he said that they're gauging – they're going out and talking to them because they are testing. They're checking what their reaction is to the military establishment. So I see that – like it's always about – Solinsky talks about how the action is in the reaction, and you talk about floating trial balloons. We look at the media today, some of the outlandish things that we see. A lot of that is testing the reaction of the public. As opposed to actually just giving information or to actually trying to propagandize maybe to get them to like you or something. Sometimes they're 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 checking in to see how we oh, react to things. I think that's why I got purged from WordPress. To see how we to see how we would react? Because they put that weird Sandy Hook picture in yes, the Pakistan chick's right. hands as if he was in the, it was the picture of him at Sandy Hook Elementary School, and it was reported by the BBC as a victim by another name of the Pakistani school massacre. So I posted it saying what that I this is crazy with the head of my post. But I was somebody who put that out and every person who published that specific picture. I mean, that was the criterion for getting purged. It was that picture. And I remember when that picture came out, I remember saying they, there's no way this is a mistake there's no way the BBC doesn't recognize that kid's face like everybody else does. There's something going on here. And I think so they're yeah. gauging your reaction, maybe to change it, maybe to write you down on a piece of paper. And it makes me think that when you're getting on a plane, when you're getting on a plane, they let families and old people and handicapped people get on first. 
and then they let the military get on first, the regular G.I. Joe. And I remember thinking, like, these are the most able-bodied men in the country. I appreciate that they are willing to sacrifice for our country. I don't fault them to the extent they don't really realize that some of the stuff they do is not consistent with the Constitution because they think that they're doing it for the Constitution. Mm -hmm. But but I would not have a guy – like, as a self-respecting man, I would not want to get on before a woman, but I realize that it's to make sure that in our minds – you know, when this guy that you just played said the military is equal to the government, that they want us to be constantly aware of the primacy of the government using that symbol of the military. Yes. And I think that's what – I mean, I just feel like that's that explains absolutely. it because it's just weird. That's a good point about the Sandy Hook thing. This is the dialectic, the, this anticipating the reaction is. So when we see stuff in the news that right. really triggers a feeling, a, a powerful right. feeling in us – it's worth stopping and asking, wait a minute, is this the feeling that they were anticipating that I would have? Were they anticipating that I was going to react the way that I, I am? And if so, if a mass reaction from my, my group or people that I identify with, what, why? Why did they want us to react this way? Because you've talked about this. You pointed this out a long time ago, and I think it's true, that CNN might very well have more people hate watch it than they have people that actually watch it for information. Brian Stelter, there's no doubt in my mind that the majority of his audience is people <laughs> who hate watching him to see the, the just the blatant lie that he tells and causing that. Because sometimes we talked about Biden earlier in the uh, the Daily Show about how he was victimized on the debate stage last night, and by him being victimized, it turned him into a sympathetic character and made made the person who is leading look like an underdog. So sometimes there's the intentional victimization of the self for the purpose of propaganda. So it's only, I okay. I do remember that, like when Bush George Bush, I was no fan of George W. Bush, but when the media would just never stop razzing him and harassing him and criticizing him. I would just defend him knee-jerk, even though what he was doing – I wasn't defending him like going to war, but what he what he was doing, there was nothing domestic or foreign that I agreed with. He was no libertarian, and I would say, oh, they're probably just lying <laughs> because right. that's how he it's was the same portrayed. with Trump right now. Yeah. yeah, 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 right, because he's got the biggest deficit since the sequester, which he suspended. Like they, he's just – what Trump is doing is the opposite of what his people want. And that's when they seem to ratchet up that he he's a victim. There's no one there to defend him. And then they call my show and they say, you're too hard on him. Yeah. This clip talks about where the most vulnerable groups or who's the most vulnerable and who's the least vulnerable. I think you'll I think you'll uh, relate to this clip because you've talked about this. Postland does have problems, economic, social and emotional. And subversive insurgents are always aware of them always ready to promise instant solutions for the price of revolution. In the more urban areas, where there is less dissension and more of a sense of national integrity, subversives achieve only minor disturbances at best. But real grievances must not be ignored. In the rural areas of Postland, where government supervision and control is only a wispy thread, the subversive makes stronger headway. Here he is free to promote his objectives. 
Here he can recruit and frequently obtain the direct support of the civilian population. The potential recruit is carefully selected. Perhaps some injustice, real or imagined, drives him where he reluctantly goes, to the side of the subversives. Notice mm -hmm. how he said real or imagined? Mm-hmm. But the rural areas, you talk about that all the time, where there is no – where the government control is, is little and the people are uh, open to influence. But this is – now that I hear that, this is clearly all about communism. Yes, it is. And I would say that that we gave them – people think like Oppenheimer was some kind of – traitor or whatever Oppenheimer who works on the Manhattan Project gave the Soviets the bomb we gave them somebody on our side gave them the bomb and I my idea is that it was intentional to keep the arms race going so that we would have a war economy when there was no war and that if you want to go into other countries if you want to have an excuse to go into other countries and kind of colonize them under the radar the way Cecil Rhodes wanted to do it what better – I mean, having – it's us or them is like the only excuse. And for us – so my father would say never interfere with another country, but he was afraid of communism. And although he would not compromise his principles for that, a lot of people were so terrified of communism that they would – they did – I mean, that's why people were in favor of the Vietnam War. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely – the Red Scare – any – that's the thing. Any real threat is going to be co-opted, and it's going to be exploited even beyond the threat. So it's always that balance of asking is because they get you pulled in, and they get you firm on a certain belief, and then that's when they can get people to do things and accept things uncritically. That's for, they, for me, it's they, like always asking questions even when you do feel strong in your belief because that's when you're most vulnerable is when you're automatically reacting. Well, and they exacerbate the threats. They don't try to make it better. That's what you see with, like, things that went away. Racism could have been – Obama could have ended racism in this country. When when Eric Holder said, we want to have an honest discussion about race, I was like, yes, let's talk about it. What am I saying wrong? You know, like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, and the answer was, you're much worse than you think. I'm like, oh, wait, no, I just – I really just want to <laughs> – Everything should – I just – tell me what to do. You know, that's how why people voted for Obama. I mean, he, he people came out who would not have come out because they were looking for some kind of healing. And instead of getting that, that it's worse than it ever – I mean, far worse than it was before. Yeah. So they're not looking to, to actually solve the problems. No. They're looking to – or those divisions. No, their they're job looking. depends on the problems and the divisions being there. It's awful sick. It, goes on after this to talk about the three target groups, and they have a psychological operation that they prepare for a strategy for all of them. And they break it down into the, the rural groups, the, the city groups, and the people who are in the middle not, – not in the middle geographically, but in the middle when it comes to they're undecided. So probably people more like us who question things is also a group that they target when they're creating their strategy. Then it goes on to talk about – this is a, one of my favorite ones – the what they use in support, the things they bring in to help conduct the psychological warfare operation. To implement the plan, it becomes necessary for Colonel Hamilton to request the support of military training teams. 
elements of a U.S. Psychological Operations Battalion assigned to his theater of operations. Among the support elements needed are the light mobile printing team with its printing and editorial shelters. Also needed is a radio team to support existing radio stations, particularly in the back country. An audiovisual vehicle will help to increase the effectiveness of face-to-face -face communications. And a loudspeaker team will support tactical operations. One of the initial steps of the military PSYOP program is directed toward the Hostland military establishment itself. A soldier's attitude goes a long way toward implementing an effective military PSYOP program. Touring groups of performers are used to attract attention. They are particularly effective in remote areas. Entertainment or diversion of any kind is eagerly awaited. Entertainment teams like this one attract crowds of people wherever they appear. Controlled interaction can result in group belonging and assist in developing a sense of national unity. So every aspect of society, socially, they get in and they influence the crowd psychologically. And they use entertainment as a, exactly. as a wedge to get right. into people's minds. Yeah. Which it is, leaves them open and right, yeah. makes them grateful. And then their point is to unify the country. So they really are in there to destroy subcultures. So I think it's pretty evident when we see the themes that are on television shows that there's a culture being pushed. It's, a, it's part of a psychological warfare plan. The people who are involved in the shows are probably unaware of that for the most part because, as Bernays talks about, the idea isn't to like overtly control some of these groups necessarily. It's to, it's to be the producer who, who whispers in the ear of the director. It's to be the executive producer who finances it. It's to be, it's to be the subtle influences that can make the major impact. While there are some films and stuff that do overtly make cooperations with the military or with certain groups to push certain themes. They can always get in there using subtle influence as well. But I also think it's a battle. I think that there's a battle between the other forces that want to influence things in the other way. But the things we see on t I mean these are the things that these are the things that have access to our minds. TV, the web, the the internet, our phones. So those are most definitely going to be the things that are targeted by a psychological warfare operation, which the Cybercon actually talks about here in a little bit. There's a couple more clips from this where now they go on to talk about the areas of insurgency or where the opposition is trying to influence people. In areas where the insurgent is openly recruiting and receiving aid from the people, an internal security program takes the greatest PSYOP effort. Here the objectives are to sever the link between the insurgent and the civilian population, to detect and neutralize subversive apparatus, and to provide a secure environment. Where restrictions are imposed, the people should be made to realize the necessity for them. They must be convinced that these restrictions are only temporary. That as soon as subversive activities are controlled, restrictions will be lifted. Psychologically, the people must be convinced that if it were not for the insurgents, these restrictions would not be necessary, and that when insurgent activities cease, restrictions will be removed. The moment the citizen is convinced that his government is there to serve and protect him, he will begin to support and serve his government. 
Who do you think the modern day surgeon insurgent is in the United States that you could relate to that? Well, I mean, terrorism and the drug war are the two things that do that. And now I guess it's domestic terrorists, white nationalists, whatever. Conspiracy theorists. And we're only going to be purging websites as long as these conspiracy theorists are coming in to try and poison your mind. But once they stop, we don't have to worry about any of these restrictions. We promise you we won't restrict your speech. We're only going to restrict the speech of the conspiracy theorists. Absolutely, yeah, and that's the and they are categorized as domestic terrorists, right? Yeah, they're linking all those together. Here, it we talked about this in a, sh- a show recently about what the psychological warfare operation goal is towards the opposition. I think we can relate to this. The psyop effort directed at the guerrilla has one objective: to demoralize him and to motivate him to defect by leaflet, by loudspeaker, by radio, by whatever means possible, PSYOP reaches his ears and eyes, stressing the futility of his present, offering hope for his future if he defects. That's the demoralization. Why are you fighting this battle? You don't have a chance to. When you come over here, I'll give you a plot of land and a nice meal. You just got to do what I tell you. Uh, But who do you think they're aiming that at? Because I do feel they're enhancing the dysfunctional subculture still. Are you talking about, like, college kids? I think that they enhance it to draw people out probably. I think if they were to get somebody who maybe was an outspoken conspiracy theorist that was untainted, so to speak, they might say, you don't have a chance to win this battle. So why don't you come over here? Yeah. We'll let, we'll let yeah, you do this. We'll give you yeah. this slot on this whatever as long as you stay away from this and you propagate this. Yes. I actually specifically – I don't know if this is exactly related, but I, I specifically heard somebody talking about how his book – the way his book was censored was that they said, you can talk about this topic in one book and this other topic in another book. It was about the drug trade and during Vietnam that was kind of like facilitated by the CIA, I think was the idea of it, but you just couldn't put them together and connect the dots. Yeah. But, but I, but I do believe that they will, they, they do try to keep you. It's that self chilling thing. I don't know if they want to convert you to their side, but convincing people that it's hopeless does keep them from saying anything because self censorship. Yeah. Yeah. They'll be like 9 11. They, they say like Ron Paul won't come out against 9 11 because he'd be crucified. Exactly. And here you already spoke about this, but it's how they collect, monitor so they can adjust on the fly. Prisoners are interrogated with special questionnaires that give clues toward their reaction to the psychological effort directed toward them. Regular tours of the country afford PSYOP officers a means of direct evaluation. Interception and analysis of enemy messages and radio and TV broadcasts provides another useful measure of the effectiveness of the PSYOP program. Feedback information from the field is used as a basis for continual changes. For the psychological program must be constantly updated. As the people are affected by the program, so the program is affected by their changes in attitudes. A successful PSYOP program will make them perceive things from the desired viewpoint. (laughs) From the desired viewpoint. And that it's ever-changing, yeah. Did I play this one? Was this... this, thought this was mixed into one of the clips, but maybe not. The moment the citizen is convinced that his government is there to serve and protect him, he will begin to support and serve his government. 
Yeah, that was in the one with the yeah. yeah. And this is their nice. They're always looking for feedback. Always looking for that feedback to adjust their ability to conduct psychological warfare. Which it's marketing does the same thing. It's just the level of resources and money that the government has to do it is a lot more, and they're doing it. Sometimes to promote war, to try and trigger people into supporting a war. Now, they wrap it up with a nice little clip that just puts a bow on the entire training. You are looking at the most important man in the world. In America, he is called John Doe. Other countries have other names for him. He is the man without a face. Every man, the average citizen, the man who totals a billion when added to all his counterparts all over the world. In the final analysis, he will decide the future of the world. Because his importance is clearly recognized by forces that seek world domination, his mind has become a target. When he pledges his allegiance, when he decides in which direction he should project his loyalty, the issue in Hostland and many real countries in the world today will have been largely resolved. Inevitably, the moment of decision will come. And at such moments, what thoughts will pass through his mind? What images will he see? What factors will push him in one direction or another? What decision has he made? Who can say with certainty? But given an effective, comprehensive psychological operations campaign as part of the background, we could logically make an optimistic forecast. What thoughts will pass through his mind? What images will he see? What feelings will he feel? These, this is the detail in which they go into when they're anticipating these reactions that we're going to have and when they come up with these psychological warfare operations. People often talk about how Trump is impulsive and the things are just done on the fly. Bullshit. <laughs> right. This stuff is well thought out yeah, from He's all definitely sides. not tweeting at all ever. He probably doesn't even know how to use Twitter. The idea that these are just flippant, crazy tweets, even even if Trump is even if Trump is the Batman, it's still a well thought out strategy because you have to combat. This is where the 3D, 4D chess come in. People say, oh, they're not really playing that. Yes, they absolutely are. That's what this is. This is 45D, 60 chess that people are battling amongst each other. Well, this also the the way they are talking it is clear that they have a framework, a model they are working with that oh, yeah. explains the human psyche. Yeah. And even the report from Iron Mountain, they talked about now we have the computer capacity to understand the impact of the price of real estate in lower Manhattan of a small change in the draft law. This was in the 60s. Yeah. And that kind of computing capacity, if they're looking at it from that point of view, and they have all that data and they study psychology, which I do not think they, maybe they share the studies with us on a one-off thing, but they're not giving us the comprehensive total picture that they are coming up with and using against us. They would never do that. The actionable way that that can be used. Yeah. They do have – they publish that stuff. It's buried amongst social science studies and psychological studies. It's super complex. And so much science isn't reliable. So how are you supposed – where's your truth star when you can't know? I mean some of these studies are not replicable. And it's impractical for the average person to be able to go through and decipher which ones are and which ones aren't. You just don't have the time or the capacity because it's so much information to do it while they have all these resources that they can do that. Now, 
taking this to the modern realm of cyber, again, this is the Army CyberCon from 2018. It was in December. There's a panel discussion, and these are four information warfare officers from the DOD and from the military, and they're talking about how cyber, the internet, social media, and everything has changed the way that information warfare is conducted. And just to put to bed a question that – or a defense that people often raise, I'll play it. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm going to include the question because this brings a lot of clarity to how they think about it. On this thread a little bit about you know democratic constraints and rule of law and authorities on the one hand and adversary capabilities and perhaps lack of constraint on the other hand um, – how do we navigate that? And do we have the ability to have the kind of force structure that we need within existing authorities? Um, you know, one, one example of this is the fact that, you know, according to U.S. law, military I.O. can't influence you know, U.S. citizens, right? Um, how do we conduct I.O. below the use of force thresholds, right? So not on the battlefield. Um, now, let's make sure we understand the military cannot conduct I.O. specifically targeting U.S. citizens. Well, it, now, right. when we do our planning, there is the, there is the, the possibility of U.S. citizens <laughs> receiving the information. As long as we're not specifically targeting, and when we do the, the damage estimate for what we should do for, we do for targeting, we do a collateral damage estimate. When we do a damage estimate as to what might happen, we factor that in. And there is the component through public affairs where I think it's very important to inform and educate um, the U.S. population. And that's not targeting them. That's not trying to influence them, but informing them what's going on and trying to inoculate them against uh, what the adversaries are trying to do. Okay, so they're referring to the Propaganda Act where you're not allowed to conduct propaganda against U.S. citizens from 2014. So they Well, that was an amendment, right? To this, what is it? The um, Munt, the one that like what's his face got Michael Hastings died like right when he was his yeah. last article. Yeah, yeah, was about the amendment that kind of allows it right. to turn inward, and exactly. it may it may not have strictly allowed it to turn inward to tar. It still probably doesn't allow targeting. However, it it allows basically total exposure. But if you classify someone as someone who is spreading Russian propaganda, then very clearly it's an adversary and they can be targeted. And they are Is that true? Are you right about that? An American citizen who That's what they're talking about in this thing. They're referring to targeting Russia, the spread of Russian propaganda and well, maybe not even targeting, just targeting the American well, public. Well, he's saying we're trying to inoculate yeah, people that, against what, Russian propaganda yeah, yeah. by targeting them. Exactly. <laughs> so he says we, we're, we're not going to target them, but we're going to target them to inoculate them. So they just openly admitted that, well, you could tell the hesitation in his, his speaking. He was trying to be very careful about what he said, and in many of his answers, he this guy pauses for like 10, 15 seconds at times and is like, let me be very careful about what I say. This video has like 29 views. What was by the, the way. circumstance of this video? Sorry. This is the Army CyberCon conference 2018. This is a Got panel it. discussion with military and DOD information warfare officers talking about how the cyber realm has changed the way they conduct information warfare operations. How many hits did that video have? Like 29 at the time, <laughs> I think. Yeah. 
All right. Now, going back, I just want to get that part out there that even if they say they're not targeting, they can target – if they want to target us, they can backdoor it in anytime they want. This is just a straightforward – and I think everybody knows this, but I think it's worth playing. Purpose of an information warfare operation, or they call it information operation. Here's the purpose of the information operation. Really what we're talking about here is influence. You know, How are we trying to influence the adversary uh, to change their behavior? And for us, from an expeditionary warfare, warfare mindset, it, it really is focused on changing behavior. So how are we going to influence the adversary to change their behavior to something that's more amenable to what we would like to see or to not do something uh, as well? I think that last do point that, is important. Do, do they some- have any examples of behavior? What is behavior? Oh, yeah. He does have some examples of not necessarily that a Just, lot of us I want to. an example of behavior because I feel like it's all about thoughts and communications. Yeah, the thoughts and the communications lead to not doing the behavior because he, he also said but, not but doing what the is behavior. the behavior? What is the behavior? Some of the behaviors they talk about is getting people to go vote, getting people to go to a website to get further information. Yeah, that's the thing that I, I feel like – there isn't much behavior outside of the Getting cyber realm that I've protest. ever heard them talk about. Yes. Do they do, – does he give an example of behaviors? He says all those things that I just said. He I'm says protest? To... He wants people to protest or he wants people to not protest? Yeah. I mean that's really – that if they're, if they're talking about that being part of the process where they try to inoculate us or they want to inform people, if they're talking about us, I mean that's – I would consider that an – absolute violation of the first amendment in that you have this right to petition you have the right to assembly they shouldn't be manipulating that i'm not saying they don't but Uh, i'd find it hard to believe he's going to admit that yeah he talks they talk about that in here domestically no i mean they're talking about it related to for to enemies okay so they're not talking about the stuff that they are targeting us well they're talking about russia so that's why he was reluctant when he was very careful about what he said yeah, there. Okay. Yeah. 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 Got it. Got it. Got They're talking it. about Russia and China mostly. Right. Our near peers is what they yeah, call Hong them. Kong, Moscow. Yeah. <laughs> so it all relates. Yeah. They just today, Russia supposedly conducted raids on what we're saying are political activists, and I think is like U.S. spies, which is probably Possibly. where that spy story, why that like kind of opened up the door to this because they knew it was coming. All right, here's one of the clips where he talks about some of the effects that they look for, and I think in this clip he gives some examples of the actions, but I'm not certain, but I think so. When you start talking about information operations where it gets to be a little complex, what is the intent of the action that you're doing? Why am I littering Baghdad with leaflets? Well, this leaflet is to carry this message across for this action, sir. This leaflet is to see what happens when certain people get the information there. This one is um, in order to reassure the populace that we are here and that we're taking actions for them. We're trying to change behaviors of target groups. So that's what information operation is supposed to be. It's not necessarily to make people feel happy. Make the, it's to make certain target groups in a way that, that is advantageous to us. Now, when we take a look, moving back to the topic here of during periods of competition, We can't necessarily say if I do this one thing, it's going to get after this. But what we can do is we can say, here is a target audience. And by the way, that's something we have to become comfortable saying. If we look at information operations as trying to influence certain areas, we have to be comfortable as a military and as a whole of government using the word target, even though 
it might mean that we're talking about allies, partners. For a certain impact or effect we're trying to get after, whether it's through um, engagement, through media, we have to be comfortable with saying target. We have to make sure that once we identify that target, as Colonel Mellon said, we put enough operations or actions against that target so we can start to see a movement towards the effect that we're going after. I got a couple of things there. It's absolutely outrageous to say that they're doing it on allies because if we do – national borders don't mean anything between the U.K. and the U.S. as far as the government's concerned, in my opinion. So if the U.S. is allowed to do it to the citizens of the U.K. and the U.K. is allowed to do it to the citizens of the U.S., it's like when I was at the finals clubs and the guys were trading their father's internships among each other. It's – they're still getting nepotistic jobs just once removed, so nobody knows. That's outrageous. And uh, this sounds like what what Stacey Abrams was doing for Yukos Oil with Kissinger. They were they were going in there and having educational programs in Russia to talk to these people about how democracy should work, how their government should work, and the principles that they should uh adopt and they were like on the ground in the schools and everything yeah speaking of being in the schools here they're talking about what's unique about the cyber medium in comparison to other mediums or other communication channels like billboards radio tv movies and all that very telling not something that we don't already know but it's good to hear it from them so that we can be aware of it. Cyber enables instantaneous response. You know, it's a, it enables a push-button type of uh, capability that we can instantaneously, instantaneously transmit to, to a more significant number of recipients than ever before, um, and, and perhaps also increased our ability to measure how those messages are being received. If you look at the uh, internet, internet propagation rates across the globe, I mean, just exponentially increase every year and you know our own kids all day long staring down at their devices like justin said we were able to reach them uh almost real time and that's powerful i mean that having that conduit that people are tied into is is extremely powerful what do you think about that i think that that's what it's there for having our kids and he said our kids Mm -hmm. tied into this information conduit we mm-hmm. can reach them at all times. And that, that's the guy who was talking about inoculating people from what the enemy is saying. So having the kids, the children ad- addicted to devices is an instant access point for information warfare. Right, in real time. And they're inoculating my daughter against me. There you go. And so you feel the real effects of that right there. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's just she has said to me, I don't care if you're right. Yeah. I will be ostracized if I believe you. (laughs) I'm like, okay. So you talked about the— And they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You talked about the overt acts. They talk a little bit about—he's asked a question about what the future of information warfare is going to be like, and he believes it's going to explode, and he gives the reason why. 
He talks a lot about how because it's so powerful. And it, it exploded a long time ago. Edward Bernays talked about all of this stuff back in the 20s, just not related to digital. These guys are talking about the same stuff, just relating it to digital. And why. But it's, I think, if they're hinting at the fact that this is, we ain't seen nothing yet, yes, that's scary. Yes, I agree. I see information operations exploding. And the way I, I reason I say that is we have seen a realization among leadership that influencing and using the different conduits, the IRCs, is just as, and in some cases, more important than kinetic effects. So as we see that, and as we look at the at this competition phase where we want to influence a key leader in a different area not to take this action because of what he's seeing in the environment, and we're seeding that environment to get to that result, then we'll start to see, if we can seed properly, and we get the results, that will expound. Commanders will then begin to say, we need to bring more information operations, more of these sort of effects in into the competition phase so we don't have to necessarily rely on the physical. If we've gone to the physical, then we've already lost the information, the information fight. And he's talking about stove piping. He's talking about I think he's talking about stovepiping might be part of it. He's talking about seeding information and events. Yes, in front of leaders, right? Yes, yeah, so stove. Yeah, it's like what they did with FDR. They loved that he was in a wheelchair, and they said we don't have to control anything but the State Department, and they need to bring him information only in support of this action. So it so he cannot make any other decision, and he won't even know that the decision was made before he got the information. Right, and it's not just bringing information. It's what Bernays used to do is he would take people and leaders, I'm sure also, and he would show them events. That's like, the kinetics, yeah. right? Well, that that's yeah, that's showing he would they would seed certain information and events to happen in front of leaders that would make them not take some sort of action or to take some action that they wanted. He's talking about that there as well. The kinetic- and he was saying that if you get there. It's too late now. He, he's saying that if you get to – what he's talking about kinetic is he's talking about bombing type of warfare. Oh, He's saying if, what? if the information stuff works, if the, 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 events, the events we stage, oh. the information we give, if it influences them to oh. go in the direction that we want, then there does not have to be military conflict when it oh. comes to physical oh. Oh. which is a good thing, rather, rather the well, propaganda I mean, war than the physical war. I don't know about that. I'd rather – you know, live free or die. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I just, uh, being a mental, a, a stupid slave, mindless, I'm not sure that's good. Yeah, that's propaganda of the deed. Maybe not necessarily be something violent. It might be something like an Edward Bernays Flames of Freedom type stuff where it's a big staged event. But the idea is to, maybe it's to show a picture, a video of a, a, a baby a video of people in Syria who look like they're suffocating. It could be something like that. They, they're always constantly using this type of warfare, not, even, not just on us, but on foreign leaders and domestic leaders as well. So at least we're all under the onslaught of information war, and we can fight back by using our critical faculties, which they, they hate that well, the most. It's, it's kind of difficult to do that. They're trying to get us not to do that. Yeah, you know, we can still do it, though. We're in control of our own domain. 
That's what my mom says. <laughs> well, I agree with your mom. She's a wise lady. <laughs> I like this one just because I, I we kind of predicted that it would happen. They're talking about the role of social media and what they what you can do to combat the foreign influence on social media. You know, the Russian influence on social media. We still have a, a basic education responsibility to. We have to educate the public to stop and take a look at what it is you're listening to. You have to, if this seems outlandish, if this seems strange, go find a different source. We're already teaching this at the experimental level in some of the um, education systems in the public schools. I think it's Project Digital Digital Literacy, <laughs> where they walk the kids through how to take a look at a, da- a news source. Is this fake news? If you can't find it in certain other in at least two other true places, then you need to go back and question it further. So that education portion has to be there. Two other true places. I know. I'm (laughs) telling you, that is exact. I knew they were doing that. I knew that a memo had gone out. Project And it wasn't just public schools. I was only going at private schools, private high schools, and every one of them had a, a part of their pitch to prospective parents and students was how they are teaching digital research. Yeah. And that the three touchstones were authority, authority, and authority. Yeah, here is a list of true sources. mm -hmm. They continue to talk about the social media. Very interesting in how they are working with the social media companies. Rather than being adversarial with social media companies, we have to work with them and make sure they're understanding what we're trying to get after not in a threatening way, but how their work in defending and helping us to identify fake news and these fake feeds help us with national security. We have to partner with them. I think we're going to see a, a lot of uh, uh, significant efforts taken in the, in the next year even um, where, where these types of uh, fake news campaigns lose some traction. This is, you know, this is definitely a really long-term problem, but the social media companies are kind of falling in line, I think, in terms of what they need to do to move forward. This was in December, and we've seen social media take action in the course of the past year. So he was right in his prediction that they have fallen in line. Mm -hmm. And what the guy described at the beginning about going to these big social media companies that control the information, and I'm sure media companies as well, is exactly what the Committee on Public Information prior to World War I, there's a book called How We Advertised America, is what they did. They went to every influence in society, and they said, look, we're not going to force you to do this, but this is for national security. You understand what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> don't, well, don't make us force you to do this. That was that famous speech of JFK that people think he was talking about this big conspiracy at the press club. And what he was saying to the press club is we're fighting communism and we're counting on you to censor the news. Yeah. If you listen to the, that clip all the way through, that's what he was saying. Yeah, that's what he's talking about here. I have three clips left that are – Kind of complex. It took me a few minutes. I had to play them a few times to kind of grasp them, but I I think I got a handle on them. I might need your help in explaining some of this because I think you probably know a lot more about this stuff than I do. They're talking about how to fight an enemy who – they spend a lot of time talking about how the restraints that we have on the democratic process is our weakness when we're fighting against an enemy that has had – a unified dictatorship for uh, you know two thousand years, and how what are we going to do to battle back against that? How are we going to get over the restraints that we have? And they use an example of setting a tripwire during the Cold War. 
apparently during the Cold War, they sent a bunch of U.S. soldiers to somewhere in Russia, I guess, that they would have died. There, there were no doubt going to be able – they were going to not be able to beat the army, but by them dying, it would have been a public demonstration to the public in America that would make the public demand that we go to war with Russia. So those soldiers were the trip line that if Russia killed them, then they knew that America was going to join the war, and they didn't want that. That's the basic explanation I have of it. I kind of spilled the beans there, but I, I, tell me if I'm— I don't know that. that I, I'm not familiar with that. All right, I'll play the clip. Measures such as the emplacement of costly signals, much like yeah, we had uh, you know, 300,000 uh, U.S. Again, this is how are we going to fight against people who don't have a democratic process like us. Measures such as the emplacement of costly signals, much like, yeah, we had, uh, you know, 300,000 uh, U.S. service personnel near the Folder Gap during the Cold War as a tripwire. Uh, Thomas Schelling, you know, we, the, the intent was not to have that, that element, that, that force stop uh, a Russia, a Soviet advance. It was a tripwire that would credi- credibly commit the, the full resources of, of the Western world and, and specifically the United States to the conflict. Um, and, and served as a costly signal. So the Soviets knew that if that wire was tripped, you know, the U.S. was in. We, we need to do the exact same thing in the information domain. We need to emplace trip wires, uh, red lines, so, and, and then clearly communicate those with our adversaries so they know that in the event those wires are tripped, there are real implications that may still not be kinetic, but they may be economic, they may be um, political, uh, something needs to, to be in place. I, I think this is where Congress comes in predominantly. You know, the, I think that we're making strides in this regard. Congress is understanding this, and, and multiple pieces of, of legislation have been advanced to try to address this specific problem. But it goes back to the nature of our, our, our free market society and uh, enabling economic freedom um, and, and the, the hesitancy to put constraints on that. So we, we will get there, I'm sure, I'm confident, uh, from a legislative standpoint. But uh, without the emplacement of those tripwires, y- you know, there's, there's nothing really deterring adversary action in the information domain. Referring to the cyber I, domain. I need specifics. I need to understand what he mean, what, what would be an example of a tripwire he wanted to put into place. Does he give an example? No. The example that he gives is the Russian example. This, 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 Which is what? Is, no, I mean he gives a, an analogy, but does yeah. he give an example of what a digital tripwire would look well, like? Well, this is what this moderator but, asked in this next okay, clip. Okay, good, yeah. But she also further elaborates on the Russian example, which helps me understand it a little bit better. The tripwire metaphor <clears throat> or, or um, analogy is, is, is fascinating to me because during the Cold War, the point of the tripwire, what, what made it so credible – was that we were willing, that was that, you know, we would not be able to stop the Red Army, right, from marching across Europe. And in Schelling's words, the point of the tripwire forces was so that they would die gloriously and publicly to invoke, um, to force the American public to, um, you know, put pressure on the government to then bring to bear the full weight of our national capabilities. I want to pause it there. You, you got what she just said there, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like the mass shootings. Yeah. Um, it meant that we were willing to take risks and incur costs that would force us to respond with, you know, the full weight of our, of our forces. So, so thinking about how, how we apply that tripwire analogy to the cyber domain, um, what, like, what would be that costly thing that we'd have to absorb 
<laughs> that was would my force question. us politically to respond. I know we're kind of getting a little bit off off track here. No. But I just I just I found that striking because I I, I have a hard time thinking about what Me what too. that looks like and whether <laughs> we're willing to put ourselves at risk put our, ourselves at risk like that. Right. You're exposed as a tripwire force. That's the point. Mm-hmm. You're constantly exposed and you're constantly at risk. Um and, and you do that as a as a credible signal. Now he's about to answer. Yeah, I want to noodle about it. Should we noodle for a sec? Yeah, I anticipated what it. his answer was because we've okay, I, so we've identified it. We've identified it as we didn't put it in these terms, but we have identified this multiple times. I mean, Trump is the tripwire, right? Like Trump is the is what happened. Sort of. Sort okay, of. Because all right, well. The, so the Russian risk. interference. What, what are we risking? What are we? What are we going to lose in order to get what we need? Is kind of what she's I mean, at. What are we willing the first to sacrifice? Amendment, I guess you know the First Amendment. I don't know. You're I, in the I, right area. You're definitely I'm off track. No, no. You're, you're definitely in the right area. I don't get it. No. Yeah, you'll you'll get it clearly when he says it. What does that look like here? I think there's already been some politicians that have talked about the next election being. Possibly one of those things like that's our democracy. That's off limits. Um, but are we willing to really make the tripwire? Yeah, I mean, Dick Cheney said that that was an act of war. Uh, General General Mike Hayden has has countered that and said, you know, that that's that's pretty dangerous. The the problem is we don't understand exactly how exactly what the problem is. You know, is it a political problem? Is it an information problem? Is it a military problem? Uh, he, he's also said, you know, look at uh, this this may not be a cyber problem. Take it out of the cyber bucket and put it in the Russia bucket. This is a Russia problem, and address it from a, from a whole government approach in that in that perspective. Democracy, our democracy, is the potential tripwire, according to the first guy who spoke there, and then the second guy. Well, it's a Russia problem. To me, that says that what we've been talking about—that Trump is going to win, and that it's going to be blamed on. Voter suppression, racism, as well as Russian interference, and our democracy will and have to digital be insecurity. Yes. Digital insecurity. Here's the thing that they they always cover up a little something with these things. They want to sacrifice the democracy. Yes. The democracy is the problem. Exactly. If Trump wins, it's and Stacey Abrams comes forward, and we, they blame Russian influence, they're going to say we tried. We have tried everything to stop them, but we are right. unable to do it because we have these democratic processes that get in the way. And just like that first video that we played, the public needs to understand that these restrictions are going to be put in place because of the insurgency. It's going to be the same thing. We have to tighten this up. We're going to have to change our right. democracy what, a little bit. And they can – The I think federalizing elections is like the least of our worries once they do that. And I was thinking more and more about the popular vote thing. They probably – we may or may not. They're certainly trying to flip region by region from blue, from you know blue, red to blue. The, the colors are wrong, but they are trying to do that. Whereas if they go to a popular vote, they really don't have to do that anymore. They don't have to worry about Alabama. No, if they get and the electoral to college, vote. you know, I'm just saying, like they don't. Just the city centers will just make it always like increasingly socialist. You'll probably get another party, not the Republican Party, but like the Biden Party versus the AOC Party, like the moderate Democrat, which is what the Republicans are actually 
The AOC anyway, party? yeah, that's what they're the AOC party. No, the Republicans are <laughs> moderate Democrats. Now, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. And the they're just. I, I, I mean, we have the biggest. It's been really bothering me, but that we just announced, like there was just a, a report that eleven months into this fiscal year, we have a trillion dollar deficit. Deficits haven't been this high since the Republicans fought very hard to get a sequester under Obama. And we have not had a deficit like this since then, even though we were still battling that recession. And that, I mean, this is what Republicans are. I can't imagine what it's going to be like when you don't even have that. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. (laughs) I do want to say real quick, I know some of this, these clips can be a little bit heavy, especially the Army Cybercon stuff. Not near as much fun as the old-timey Army psychological warfare training stuff from earlier. But I want to say that I don't bring these clips to overwhelm or anything. I bring them, hopefully, to empower people with information. Yes, and knowledge is power. Use this in, I have a hard enough time keeping my room clean, let alone taking down a global power structure hell-bent on world domination. So... I use the information. I like to try and use the information in a way that's empowering to me at an individual level and to those around me. For instance, knowing how these tactics are used to create the dialectic that you always talk about, Monica, that divides us and keeps us in these boxes and makes people see each other as enemies, it makes it a lot easier to not see people as enemies, to be able to have a conversation with somebody on the left or somebody else on the right and be able to still maintain that empathy and have – a productive conversation with them, whereas people who are buying into the dialectic oftentimes too easily fall into the trap of seeing the other side as an enemy, which makes it impossible to have a conversation and further perpetuates the divide. Another example might be the whole conversation about whether or not you need to go to college or whether or not college is free or not. When you see that all the propaganda creates these barriers and structures that makes you think you need to follow these institutional processes, you realize that's it's just that. It's propaganda that creates an illusionary barrier and that in actuality, you don't have to have college. You can have it if you're going to use it for the purpose of gaining a skill that you know you're going to use and using the skills that you learned, but you know that you don't necessarily need it. You just need to be able to use what you have to help others get what they want or get what they need. That's a job, and there's a million ways you can use what you have to help others. I'm rambling. The point is, take the information in and ask yourself, how can I use this to help me at an individual level and to help those around me. I want people to be empowered by the info. Thank you for listening, and thank you everyone who has donated via PayPal or Patreon and and has supported the shows in other ways. Very much appreciate it. It, I can't even express how much it means to us, how helpful it is. And anybody who wants to help out, you can do so through PayPal or Patreon. Uh, You can check out our new daily show, the Drive Time News Blast. I got the name right this time, even though I fumbled (laughs) it earlier. Well, we changed the name because we wanted it to be Drive Time Prop so that people – could find it through the propaganda report, but it is literally a blast of news at drive time. And there's no other way to put it. And I've already gotten feedback. Like that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So the idea of it is that you can listen to that instead of just putting the radio on because it's actually virtually real time. And it's all the news that you're going to get anyway, but without all the propaganda. And you can find that and this show at thepropreport.com and the Propaganda Report podcast feed on your favorite podcasting platform. We will talk to you all next time. See you later, Monica. Bye. We are also requesting that your team of advisors include a senior officer who is thoroughly experienced in uh, 
psychological operations. 